Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church. We pray the word of God leaves you encouraged and hopeful today. Open with me to the letter of Jude. I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and then we'll uh, dive in. Starting in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they don't understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Father God, I just pray that you would be with us this morning as we open up the word, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us through this time uh, so that what we're hearing, what we're receiving, what we're walking away from here with is your word to us. And I just pray that you would do that in this time, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So the further we get into this letter, the longer the recap is. So let me just try to kind of give you the highlights uh, of the recap. Jude begins in verses 1 and 2 by just giving his introduction to this letter. Um, he introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, as a brother of James, and he addresses his audience. He calls them, he says that they are those who are called, beloved, and kept. Those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. And then he speaks his beautiful blessing over them in verse 2, and he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So it's a beautiful introduction to this letter, just introducing himself, addressing his audience, and speaking a blessing over them. And then beginning in verse 3, he gets to the point of why he's writing. He actually says, hey, I wanted to write something else. I wanted to write to you uh, just about our common salvation. And yet I was impressed by the Holy Spirit to write to you for a different purpose, and that is this to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then in verse four, he says, why? He says, because certain people have crept into the church unnoticed, 
who are perverting or twisting the grace of God into sensuality, causing other people to fall away from the faith. And then in verse 5, he launches into seven Old Testament examples of people who, who also perverted or twisted the faith or abandoned the faith and caused others to lose faith. And he uses those seven Old Testament examples as a warning for us, as an example of what was happening in the church. And, uh, and so we've been walking through those examples. That's where we're at kind of in our teaching through this book of Jude, is walking through those seven Old Testament examples that he gave. And, and we've gone through four of them already. We looked at the example um, there, I believe, in verse 5 of the Israelites um, who were on the very borders of the promised land. God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. They'd gone through the wilderness, were on the very borders of the promised land. And they, that is the land that God himself promised to to lead them into, to give to them. And on the borders of that promised land, they sent 12 spies into the land to check it out and bring back a report of the land that God had promised to give them. 10 of them came back and said, yeah, the land's amazing, but we can't do it. We can't take it. We can't possess this land. The people are too big. The cities are too well fortified. Only two of them, Caleb and Joshua said, we can do it. God's promise, we are well able to overcome it. God is well able to give us this land. God is able to perform his promises. But the people believed the word of the 10, and that unbelief, that doubt, crept amongst the whole people of Israel and caused them to not be able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. So that was the first example we saw in verse 5. He says, hey, the people that have crept into the church and are spreading false things about God and causing people to enter into unbelief, they're just like the ten spies that came back and, and corrupted people into unbelief and caused them not to enter into the promised land. So he gives that as a strong warning to us. Then in verse 6, he gives us a warning about the fallen angels who left their, left their place in heaven, left their, left their proper dwelling, went outside the bounds of their authority. And... Uh, and sinned and uh, rebelled against the authority of God. And then uh, in the following verse, verse 7, we see the example of Sodom and Gomorrah who, who rejected the word of God, rejected the will of God and sinned against God and experienced judgment. And then last week we looked at these people, these, these false prophets, these people who rely on their dreams and defile the flesh and reject authority and speak blasphemous things against the people of God and against the things of God. And so we've seen these four examples, Israel, the fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, the false prophets. Today, what I want to do, we've been tackling kind of one set of examples in each week, you know. So we took a week on Israel, took a week on fallen angels, a week on Sodom and Gomorrah, a week on these false prophets. Today, what I want to do is I want to lump together, I want to look at Jude's fifth, sixth, and seventh example. So we're going to get through, through the seventh example of his today. And the reason we're going to do them all together is because he mentions them all together in one verse. He lumps them all together. He throws them all out there in verse 11. So let me read that verse again, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Verse 11, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves to the sake of gain. I'm sorry, for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So you see all in one sentence. He just throws it out there like his audience knows what he's talking about because they did. Okay? But if we're reading that and we don't know these stories, like, oh, yeah, exactly. Just like uh, Cain and Balaam and Korah. Got you, Jude. Awesome. So we need to look at these examples. 
But he throws them all together, and I think he throws them all together for a reason. He's just rattling off these examples, and he's like, listen, they're just like Israel. When they entered into unbelief and didn't go into the promised land, it's just like the fallen angels when they rebelled against God. It's just like Sodom and Gomorrah when they sinned in their pride and their lust against God. And it's just like these false prophets who rely on their dreams and defile the flesh and reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. It's, it's just like Cain and Balaam and Korah. So that's where we're at, Cain and Balaam, of course. Let's take a look at these three um, individually and uh, we'll, we'll kind of one by one and, and kind of pull together the point that I believe that Jude's making here that he's been making for us for the last few weeks. Um, so let's look at Cain first, okay? The story of Cain, if you don't know, it's found in Genesis chapter 4. So let me read verses 1 through 12 and uh, we're going to get the story of Cain here. Now we're talking about Adam and Eve, these are, these are um, in Genesis, we have the account of creation, the God creating Adam and Eve, and it says this, now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so there's a few things going on here. Cain and Abel, brothers, okay? And they both bring to God an offering. And many commentators and scholars have speculated as to what was happening here, what was going on. We get a little bit of a clue. We can't know exactly, but we get a little bit of a clue here as to what made Cain so jealous and filled with rage against his brother. We know that the Lord received and was pleased with Abel's offering to him. And was not pleased, did not receive, had no regard for, as the text says, Cain's offering. And so Cain becomes insanely jealous. And, and the Lord says, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be received? And so Cain has this rage and jealousy and anger against his own brother, ends up killing his own brother. Why? I, we don't know. We, I, we believe that uh, many scholars would say that it's because Abel brought, brought an offering of his heart. It's like Cain, Cain brought kind of just the scraps Oh, here, let me give you something to the Lord. Yeah, let's do that. But it says that Abel brought, it says like Abel was the keeper of the sheep, Cain worked, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. He just brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. So that Abel brought the best that he had. He brought a pleasing offering. He gave God his very best. So many commentators would say is that, that Abel here is giving God everything he has, the best of what he has. God, it's yours because you've given me all things anyways. And Cain kind of had just given scraps to the Lord. And so 
when, when God was pleased with Abel's offering and not with Cain's, Cain became jealous and he killed his brother. Cain is notorious in scripture. Here's what we need to get, okay? Simple story, we're gonna go through it quick. But Cain is notorious for being the first person in human history to commit murder. And Jude is saying here that these false teachers who have crept into the church have, quote, walked in the way of Cain. So Cain is notorious for being the first murderer. And Jude is saying that these false teachers are walking in the way of Cain. Now, William Barclay, in his commentary, says this, and I believe this quote is in your notes. It says, he says, it may well be that Jude is implying that those who delude others are nothing other than murderers of the souls of men and women and are therefore the spiritual descendants of Cain. That's heavy. What is Jude implying? He's saying that it is a form of spiritual murder to lead people away from the truth to their own destruction. To come in and speak what, you know, 2 Peter chapter 2 is a companion book to the, to the letter of Jude. 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, second, parts of 2 Peter, but especially chapter 2. It's a companion letter to Jude. So sometimes you want to get clarity. One of them, they've either borrowed from each other in some sense. And so you want to get some clarity on what's, what's being said, what's happening in Jude. You can look at 2 Peter because there are parallels in 2 Peter. And it says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just like Jude is describing. Just as there will be false teachers among you, this is how it applies to us, who will secretly bring in, look at these words, destructive heresies, that is, false teachings that are destructive, so what Jude is saying, what Peter is saying in these passages is that there are going to be people and there are people who have crept into the church and are teaching things, not just that are different opinions, not just that are different doctrines, but that are doctrines that actually are destructive. They lead people away from the truth of God's word to their own destruction. And so Jude says, they're just like Cain. Cain, who committed murder, these people are committing spiritual murder by leading people away into lies to their own destruction. That's heavy. So we go, oh, doctrine matters or doctrine doesn't matter. Listen, doctrine matters. None of us is 100% perfect in, in all of our stuff, but seeking the Lord and understanding the truth of God's word and, and having right doctrine is very, very, very important because some doctrines are not just differences of opinion. Some doctrines are first-tier doctrines. They're of a primary importance. They're issues of salvation and to be led away from the belief in those things, away from the truth of God in certain areas is to be led to destruction. And so he's saying, there are people who have crept into the church, that is, people who claim to be Christians with the Bible in their hand, who are preaching, saying Jesus this and Jesus that, but are teaching things that are actually destructive and leading people away from the truth of God into destruction. And he says, so they've walked in the way of Cain, who killed his brother. It is a form of spiritual murder to lead people away from the truth of God. False teaching is spiritually destructive. Admittedly, some teachings much more destructive than others. We can agree to disagree on certain second, third, and fourth tier beliefs and doctrines about God. There's plenty of room for differences of opinion and, and disagreements on, on many issues in the scripture. 
and lively debate. That's great. Certain things are issues of salvation. So we must be on guard because it's destructive. So they're compared to Cain. Cain, who all we know about him is he brought an offering to the Lord and then when God was displeased with that, murdered his brothers. He says, these people are like murderers. That's heavy, okay? Now let's look at Balaam. Balaam, because in Jude, he says, okay, these, these, he says, woe to them for they walked in the way of Cain. And then he says this, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Well, who's this guy, Balaam? We don't talk about Balaam a lot. Balaam is not, if you've not, uh, you know, read through the whole Bible, Balaam is like, you maybe never heard of Balaam. Uh, and so there are two significant stories about Balaam uh, in the scriptures. The first story is found in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot that down just to read the whole story because it's beneficial. Numbers chapter 22 through 24. But I'm just going to summarize that first incident here and, and for, for our purposes because we're going to focus on the second story. But in that first story in, in Numbers 22 through 24, there was a man named Balak, who was the king of Moab. And uh, the Israelite people were moving through the land. They had conquered some people. Uh, Balak, uh, who was the king of Moab, was afraid of the people of Israel because he had seen them conquer the Amorites. And so he calls for this guy, Balaam. And he says, Balaam, I will give you a great reward if you will just come and speak a curse over the Israelites. Okay? Because I'm afraid of these Israelites. They're many in number. They're powerful. It seems that God is with them. Just come and speak a curse over them because I know that whomever you bless is blessed. I know that whomever you curse is cursed. Not that Balaam had power in his words, but he was implying, Balaam, you hear from God. And so come and speak from God a, a curse over these people so that I will be safe. And um, Balaam uh, five times is, is invited to come and offered great reward um, he ultimately refuses to curse them because he says, I, I can't curse when the Lord is blessed. He speaks a blessing over them. He hears from God and, and God basically says, I, I have not cursed this people, I have blessed them. And you cannot speak a curse over them. And just a little sidebar to that little story is that if God calls you blessed and if you are his child and he does, then you cannot curse whom God has blessed. So if you are the blessed of the Lord, there's no curse that can stick to you. Even the curse of sin, hell, and death has been broken over your life. So Balaam ultimately refuses to curse them, but in the story, you can kind of see his, his greed kind of stands out. He hears from God, speaks a blessing, and then Balak offers another reward, and so he's like, oh, okay, we'll all come, and maybe God will change his mind, and he's, he's enticed by this reward. His greed kind of stands out, and so Judah actually makes mentions of, mention of that, uh, abandoning himself for the sake of gain. So he, there was this promise of gain for Balaam if he would speak something contrary to the word of God. He's, he's implying that the people who are speaking things that contradict the word of God are doing so because there is some personal benefit to them. They gain. They have an advantage in some way, and that's what happens. So false teachers creep into the church, they start speaking things that are contrary to the word of God because there's something in it for them. Either social status or monetary gain or comfort or something. They benefit personally in some way from the false teachings that they propose. The second story of Balaam is found in Numbers chapter 25. 
Numbers chapter 25. I think I have verses one through four there in your notes. So let's look at the second story. While Israel, that is the people of Israel, lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself, that is, joined himself, bound himself to Baal of Peor. Baal was a false god. And they, it's important to know before I read the rest of this, it's important to understand that they believed that there was like regional gods. That's why they call him Baal of Peor. There's a place called Peor. There's a god of Peor. There's a god of this mountain, god of that place, god of this village, god of this city. They believed in multiple, multiple gods. In fact, Christians were called atheists for a long time because they believed there was one god who rules over all. Because we disbelieved in all the other false gods. Okay? But it says here, the people of God, of the one true God, the true God who is the only God, who is creator and ruler over all, says these people, Israel, instead yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And so what's happening here is they were seduced into false worship. The people of Israel had been led away to worship a false god, a god who was no god, a god who doesn't exist, this false idea of who God is. And had given themselves over into all kinds of sin and false worship. Now, great, you told us a story about Israel, Jason. What does that have to do with Balaam? Well, if you go a few chapters ahead of that, Numbers chapter 31 We learn what this has to do with Balaam. It says this. Behold, these people, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came among the congregation of the Lord. They said in this whole incident of Peor and worshiping, beginning to worship a false god, they did so on the advice of Balaam. Balaam was considered a spiritual leader among the people. He was considered to, oh, he has the ability to hear from God. He's a spiritual man. And on his advice, they yoked themselves or joined themselves to a false God. They began to worship a false God. Now look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. God, Jesus himself speaking, says, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. It says, they were led into sin and false worship by Balaam. It was Balaam who seduced them, led them to sin, and taught them to worship false gods. And so, back to William Barclay's commentary, he points out that Balaam stands out for two things. A, He stands for the greedy and envious person who is prepared to sin in order to gain personal reward, which we've already discussed. And B, he stands for the evil person who is guilty of the greatest of all sins, that of teaching others to sin. And and he says in his commentary, listen, to sin for the sake of personal gain is bad, but to teach another to sin is the worst of all. 
What he's saying by pointing to Balaam and saying that these people have wandered off into Balaam's errors, he's saying these people are, have crept into the church and they're teaching false things because it personally benefits them. And in doing so, they are teaching others to sin and leading people into false worship, to worship a false God or false ideas about God. Listen, everyone, not everyone who talks about God is saying right things about God. Not everyone, I've said this a million times, not everyone with the Bible in their hand is preaching truth. Not everyone who says Jesus is talking about the Jesus of Scripture. So just because someone says, oh yes, Jesus this and Jesus that, and Jesus is like this, and I feel like Jesus is like that, check it against the word. Because you may be saying Jesus, but worshiping a false God. Is this Jesus as God himself has revealed him to us in his word? If your quote-unquote version of Jesus does not line up with the biblical Jesus, then it's not the biblical Jesus. Does that make sense? And, And I don't care how spiritual someone seems. Do not follow people to your own destruction. You follow God and you follow the word of God into truth and life. Don't hitch yourself to the opinions of somebody who you feel is spiritual and just blindly follow them without checking what they teach you against the word. Don't do it with me. Don't do it with anyone else. Because ultimately it's your soul standing before the creator giving an account for your life. So he says, these people are like Cain because they're spiritually murdering people. And these people are like Balaam because they come in and they're teaching things for their own personal gain. And they're causing, not just sinning, they're causing other people to to enter into false worship. And then he says, and they're like Korah, verse 11 again. He says, they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Flip with me back to Numbers chapter 16. Numbers is towards the beginning of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 16. We're going to get Korah's story, part of Korah's story here. I'm actually going to read a bunch of verses. Verses 1 through 35. So track with me because this is Korah's story. This is Korah's rebellion. Now Korah, the son of Izar the son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel. So they rose up against the leader God had chosen and appointed with a number of people, a number of the people of Israel, 250 of the chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Now remember that because it's gonna, we're going to say something else a little bit later. Against Moses and against Aaron. And said to them, you've gone too far. For all in the congregation, every one of us is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among all of us. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he said to Korah and to all of his company, in the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and who will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one, 
You've gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? The Levites, the people whom Korah was among, they've been chosen by God to lead people in worship, served in the tabernacle, served in the temple. He says, Is that too small of a thing for you? That's not enough? Now you're jealous of the leadership that I have. Now you're rebelling against me and saying, yeah, you're all, oh, I'm just as holy. I have just as much of the spirit of God as you do, Moses. Who are you to exalt yourself? He accuses Moses of pride and self-exaltation when he's seeking to be exalted. Is that too much for you? Therefore, he says, would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. Do you see that? Says they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, the leaders, but, it, but Moses says, no, you've gathered together against the Lord. You're not rejecting my authority. You're rejecting the authority of God. Right. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses sent to, to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? They're rejecting Moses' leadership and authority. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up to you. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them and I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, be present, you and all your company, before the Lord. You and they, and Aaron, and tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer. 250 censers, you also, and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took a censer, put fire in them, and laid incense on them, and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces, and they said, O oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be angry with all of the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the, the dwelling, that is, get, get away from Korah's house and Dathan's house and Abiram's house because I'm going to take them out. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the whole congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they're visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. If they die a natural death, he's saying, then the Lord hasn't sent me. You can know that my leadership is not of the Lord, that I've done this myself. But, verse 30, if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have, look at these words, have despised the Lord. 
And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Heavy story. Jude is a heavy dude, right? He's trying to, you see what's happening week after week as we study this letter? Jude is, I mean, he is intensely hammering home his point with story after story, example after example from the Old Testament. He's saying, guys, the people that are in the church that are perverting the grace of God, they've crept in among us and they're teaching things that do not line up with the grace and, and truth of God. They're just like these Old Testament examples where people were led away from true worship to their own destruction. And in the story of Korah, he's saying, listen, God is the one who had chosen Moses and Aaron to lead the Israelites from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And when Korah stirred up a rebellion against Moses and led others to reject his authority, they were rejecting the authority of God. They were rejecting the will and word and authority of God. And because of this, they faced judgment and were destroyed. Verse 11, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. Verse 30, these men have despised the Lord by rejecting the authority of God-appointed leaders. They had despised the Lord and had gathered together against the Lord. And so what is Jude's point? In putting all three of these stories together and throwing them out all together in one breath, in one sentence, Jude is saying that these false teachers who had crept into the church were just like Korah because they'd ultimately rejected God's authority. When someone teaches a false teaching, when God says something and people go, well, I know that the Bible says that, but I think otherwise, they're not just rejecting the scriptures, they're rejecting the word of God himself. They're, re they're, they're rejecting the authority of God He says... So they're like Korah because they ultimately reject God's authority. They're just like Balaam because they seduce other people into false worship. They're leading other people into their delusions of false and false worship. And they're just like Cain because by doing all of that, they're essentially committing spiritual murder by leading people into destructive heresies. So heavy, 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 heavy warning, serious warning. Jude is in our Bible for a reason. This book has very real and present implications and application for us today. Just as in Jude's day, just as in the Old Testament and all these stories that Jude is pointing us towards, there are and will be people who have crept into the church who are perverting the grace of God, twisting the truth of God, and leading people away into false worship to their own destruction. So what can we do to protect ourselves against such deception? I want to specifically ask, what can I do? What can we do to not be led away into deception? Well, just taking, I'm going to give you two things just from looking at these stories today. What can I do? Number one, 
let's be wary of those who reject authority. Let's be wary of those who reject authority. Now, I said this, was it maybe last week or week before? Authority is a bad word to a lot of people. Even to us, our sinful nature, we hear the word authority and we go, oh no, I'm equal. We're always fighting for our rights. We're always fighting for our equality. We're always fighting to be on equal par with everyone else. And I understand what we're doing. Listen, in God's eyes, we are um, created equal before him, absolutely. But that doesn't mean there's not such a thing as submission. Not just to God, but to godly authority. I'm not telling you blindly submit to every person who claims to be an authority. I'm not saying blindly submit to ungodly authority who are, or to ungodly things with ungodly authority. Actually, even scripture would say, even if you have an ungodly leader or boss or ruler or master, submit to them out of reverence for the Lord. Submit to the Lord. And we see examples of that all, all the time. Now, that doesn't mean submit to doing ungodly things or submit to people to the point that you're entering into sin or rejecting the truth of God yourself. It's not that. But it's saying, submit yourselves to the people, the authority figures that God has placed over you, and do so at, with your eyes on Jesus. Submit to, to godly leadership, to, submit to the authorities that are over you out of reverence to God, out of ultimate submission to God. Let me put it another way. If we are truly submitted to God himself, we will submit ourselves to authority. We will submit ourselves to the authority figures that God has placed over us. And so if a person will openly challenge and undermine and oppose and rebel against or reject godly leaders and the authority of God's word, they will undoubtedly reject the authority of God himself. In fact, in so doing, they are rejecting the authority of God. Do you see that? So one of the greatest things we can do is not, not only just be wary of those who reject authority. If you see somebody who's just consistently rebellious against all forms of authority, I don't like authority, I got a problem with authority, that should be a red flag. Listen, I have this, and I've wrestled with this, and I've struggled with this, so I feel it, I understand, okay? But if you're around somebody who constantly is challenging, like, like you know, I've been in, in situations, I'm not picking on, I'm not saying this for my benefit as, as pastor here, but I've been in situations, many situations where the topic of conversation was a disrespect or undermining of pastoral leadership or godly authorities or of bosses or of teachers or whatever. And then that happens consistently in someone's life. You see that pattern of, of rejecting authority rebelling against authority, that should be a red flag to you. Certainly, if somebody claims to be a spiritual teacher and you see a lot of rebellion and rejection of authority in their life, I would be very, very, very wary of that. Those who reject godly authority will reject God. Number two, and this is the last thing, what can we do to protect ourselves against being deceived? This is the greatest thing that we can do. Know the truth. Know the truth it's been said that the best way to spot fake money is not to spend all your time studying fake money and looking at all the different types of counterfeit money that there are. That's not the best way to spot fake money. The best way to spot counterfeit money is to become very, very, very familiar with real money. To know what is on a real $100 bill. To have that just engraved in your mind. 
so that when you see the counterfeit, you immediately spot the difference because you're so familiar with the authentic. You're so familiar with the real that when you see the fake, you immediately spot it. The same is true with lies about God. The best way to protect yourself against false teaching is not to become familiar with every kind of false teaching. It's to become, uh, that might be all, become familiar with all of that, so that might come across my path, so I better watch out for that, or that might come across my path, so I better watch out for that. No, 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 that's not the way to protect yourself against false teaching, because then all you're doing is studying false teaching. And following false teaching. The best way to protect yourself against false teaching is, to, is, to, is with good teaching. It's with sound teaching. It's with being saturated in the truth of God's word. There is nothing greater that you and I can do to protect ourselves against false and destructive teachings than being in this word every day. To become so familiar with it, read the Bible, study the Bible, ask questions if you have, you don't understand that, ask questions, check it in different translations, talk to other people, get understanding of the truth so that you spot the lie when you hear it. Know the truth, stay in the word and you will be far less susceptible to lies and false teachings and so in response to this heavy challenge and warning from Jude, I think we should be wary of those who reject authority. Do not blindly follow people. Submit to authority, but don't blindly follow them. And be wary of those who reject authority. When you find in someone a character that says, man, I struggle. The authority figures over me are not always godly. They're not always great but, I, but I, I'm going to have respect for them. I don't always agree. It doesn't mean I'm never going to speak up, but I'm going to have respect for them. And I'm not going to constantly live in rebellion and rejecting their authority. And they're staying in the truth of God's word consistently. That's how we can go a long way to protect ourselves. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word, for your truth. I pray that you would help us to be in your word every day, to know the truth that sets us free. God, that you would protect us from false teaching, that we would be inoculated to the lies because we are so saturated in the truth. That we would just be immersed in your words, in your teaching, so that when false or destructive teaching comes across our path, we would not be batted about by every wind and wave of doctrine, but would be rooted in the truth of your word. Secure in your hands, safe in your love, guarded by your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.